0: Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. I'm mighty glad to be here this morning. Uh, And I'm with, as Steve indicated earlier, with Jeff Monroe, the Vice President of Advancement at the Seminary, and uh, together we are so grateful for to Larry Community Church, all that you mean to Western Theological Seminary. Your prayers, your support, your generosity has uh, been a real anchor to us, for which we are very grateful. I wish I could say to you, I'm also with my wife Nancy today, but she's not here. Uh, Our son John, who spent 10 years in ministry in the Seattle area, has now returned to Holland, Michigan to restart an old congregation called Pillar Church. And Nancy doesn't want to go with me anymore. She just wants to be there with her son, and I think I understand that. I'm real eager to get down to business, so let's pray together. Father, may your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern in whose name we pray amen i want to turn and begin by reading for you again those lines from psalm 130 when the date was set for me to come Steve let me know that you were in a series from uh, the songs of ascent the songs of ascent Psalms 120 through 134 are the songs that Israel would carry with them as they returned to Jerusalem for the three prescribed holidays every year Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot Pesach was Passover, Shavuot was Pentecost, and Sukkot was the, gather, the celebration of the gathering of the citrus harvest in the fall. Now, Israel recalibrated her soul to enter into the presence of God by rehearsing the great truths of God found in these Psalms, 120 to 134. So I was assigned Psalm 130, And I'm so glad I was. Listen with me to these words from the book that we love. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, those more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Psalm 130 is the reverse side of Psalm 51, written by the same author, surrounding the same circumstances. Do you remember Psalm 51? It happens to be a psalm with a title And here's the title to Psalm 51. To the leader, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I think it would be wise for us to remember why David would write something like this. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. I'm going to spend a few moments, probably take me six or seven minutes, to remind you why David wrote this psalm. Um, I apologize up front for this story because it's R-rated. And if it were a motion picture, you would not let your children watch it. But it's in the Bible. In the spring of the year... When kings go off to war, David sent Joab and his army and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in the in Jerusalem. Now it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, he saw at a distance a woman bathing. And he sent and inquired of her. His messengers came to him, and they said to him, She is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. Wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent for her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. She returned to her home and conceived a son. She sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent a letter to Joab, the commander of the army, in which he said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Uriah the Hittite came and presented himself to David. David said to him, Tell me, how how is it for Joab and the army? How is the war going? And then David said to him, Go down to your house, wash your feet, eat, drink. Uriah left the king's presence, and there followed a present for him. But he did not go down to his own house. He slept at the entrance to the king's house. In the morning... David was told that Uriah did not go down to his house, so he sent for Uriah. And he said to him, You have come from a long journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said, My Lord, Joab and his officers and all Israel are sleeping in a field. Shall I go down to my own house and sleep with my wife While they are in the field? So David said to him, Remain in the city another day and I will send you back. He summoned Uriah the next day and invited him to eat with him and drink with him, and he made him drunk. Uriah left and he slept on the couch. And would not go down to his wife. Again, word of this came to David, so he sent a letter to Uriah but to Joab by the hand of Uriah. And he said to Joab, "Place Uriah in the forefront of the battle." And then withdraw from him so that he might be cut down and die. So Joab assigned Uriah to the place in the battle where he knew there were valiant soldiers. And he withdrew from him and Uriah was killed. So Joab sent a messenger to David saying, say to the king, we approached the city and they shot from the walls of the city and many of your messenger, many of your servants were killed. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. Joab said to his messenger, If the king's anger rises against you, you say to him, But Uriah is dead. So the messenger came to King David, and he told him, The men of the city came out to battle against us, and many of your servants fell, but Uriah the Hittite died as well. And David said to him, Give this word to Joab. The sword kills this one and that. Do not let this trouble you. Now, when Bathsheba heard that her husband had fallen in the war, she made great lamentation. She cleansed herself. And David sent for her, and he took her as his wife. Now, the thing that David did displeased the Lord. And he sent Nathan to David. And Nathan said to David, There were two men... In a city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had many herds and many flocks. The poor man had one ewe lamb that he had bought. He brought her up as his own. He would eat, the lamb would eat with him at his table. He was like a daughter to him. Now, a certain wayfarer came to the rich man, and the rich man was loath to take one of his from, the, from his flock. So he took the lamb, the ewe lamb, from the poor man and offered that to the wayfarer. When David heard this, he was enraged. And he said to Nathan, This man deserves to die. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord Is it a little thing? that I have given to you the house of your master, the wives of your master, and all his cattle, and if that were not enough, I would have given you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? And then David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, your life shall be spared. Now, isn't that some kind of story? Sex and lies and murder, all done by David? David, the apple of God's eye? David, the valiant warrior for the truth, David who slew Goliath, David who wrote more psalms than anyone else, who tunes our hearts to praise the living God, this David fell. I feel a little awkward preaching a sermon like this as a visitor, but you know, this is my 10th anniversary in Tulare, California. Every year for 10 years, by God's amazing grace, you have invited me back. And I decided when I read this psalm, I am not going to preach like a visitor. I'm going to preach like a pastor. This word of the Lord is for us. And I won't take long. I just have three cautions for you. And here's the first caution. Don't be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time All alone. I am certain as I stand here that the biblical writer of this passage wanted us to hear this odd line. In the spring of the year, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and all of his army with him. They ravaged the Ammonites, they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David all alone, all alone. Nobody but nobody can make it out here all alone. There is a reason why Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, because all alone, all alone, nobody can make it out here all alone. So I have this piece of pastoral wisdom for you. Don't go it alone. I learned this lesson 28 years ago. I was deeply discouraged in the work that I was called to do. And I honestly, for, for several weeks, imagined myself resigning as a pastor. Nancy and I, our children were quite small at the time, took a long trip out east. We went up the main coast to Bar Harbor. I remember vividly sleeping at the Winger State Park in Massachusetts. I had read a couple of chapters from the Chronicles of Narnia for my kids. They all drifted off to happy dreamland. Nancy was sleeping soundly, and I had broken into a deep sweat. I thought to myself, I'm not going to make it. The Lord spoke to me. I could almost hear it as clear as a bell. He said to me, you don't pray. I said, that's not right. I do pray. The Lord said, don't argue with me. When I got back, I told a friend about my anxieties as a pastor, about my, my feeling all alone. And I remember to this day, that dear friend said, well, we got to fix that. We should pray together let's get a group of guys around to pray with you every week we met early in the morning about six o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday morning That was 28 years ago and do you know that there has not been a Wednesday in the last 28 years that we haven't gathered to pray David remained in Jerusalem friends don't remain in Jerusalem don't go it all alone There has to be somebody in your life who knows who you are, what you're doing, where you are, all of the time. David made this sad mistake because he was all alone. That's my first caution. Here's my second caution. Don't think that God gave us the Bible Just to enjoy it from time to time. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this story, we're told that Nathan indicts David by saying, you have despised the word of the Lord. Now, that's a harsh thing to say. How had David despised the word of the Lord? He despised it by not living it, by not taking it into his life and acting out. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible is not given to us to simply inspire our lives. It's given to us to form our lives. So if it's in the book, it ought to be in your life. That's why we take the book so seriously. That's why the psalmist said, I meditate on the law day and night. Those who meditate on the law shall be like a tree planted by streams of water yielding its leaf in its season. All that I'm trying to say is don't despise the book. Take it into your life and recognize that it's not there Just for you to give multiple interpretations and have interesting conversations in Bible studies, although that's a good thing to do, it is there to transform our lives. John Wesley once said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God has condescended to show me the way. He has written it in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it, and I have life itself. There's my second caution Don't despise the word of the Lord. Eat this book. Live this book. Love this book. It's our book given to us so that we might live. And then here's the last thing when you have sinned, and on this side of heaven, all of us are going to fall. When you have sinned, don't run and hide. Don't cover it up, just confess it. That is exactly what David is doing in Psalm 130. That's exactly what he's doing in Psalm 51. He is opening his heart before God. I was so heartened early in this worship service that there was in the service a prayer of confession. There ought to be a prayer of confession I've been the president of the seminary now for, well, I'm in my sixth year. One of my dear friends is the former seminary, the president of Calvin Theological Seminary, Neil Plantinga. For years, Neil and I have met together at least quarterly for lunch and to pray together. Once we were talking about what we did for devotions. He asked me, so what is it that you do in the morning for devotions? I said, well, you know, actually, I I memorize scripture. I like to ingest long passages so I can just speak them out. He was impressed with that. I said, so, Neil, what do you do? He said, I always start this way. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said to me, sometimes I have to repeat it 15 or 20 times in a row until I really awaken to the fact that I am a sinner. feels a little harsh to stand up here and say this to you, but friends, you're sinners. You are broken. You fell with Adam. You participated with David, and so did I. And we have one recourse. And our recourse is to be honest with God. And then listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness we are always only a heartbeat away from being completely washed in the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who would stand? But with you, there is great forgiveness. I want to tell you a story very quickly that I told you some years ago. Do you remember this story? I was the dean of the chapel at Hope College. And at the end of the service, we invited students to come forward. I was over here praying with some students, while over here there were some other students praying for a young woman who, in the middle of the prayer, began to hyperventilate and keeled over. The students who were praying with her thought that she was demon-possessed. They were frightened and over their head, so they quickly ran for me to help. I knew I was in over my head, so I ran for one of my students who worshipped with us every Sunday night. His name was Stephen Kazumba. He was a Ugandan and a holy man. Kazumba and I came over. We knelt down and began to pray for her. And then Kazimba stood up, and I stood up with him. Kazimba said, this is not a demon. How do you know this? He said, this is a besetting sin. He knelt down again and prayed for her. He said something to her. She turned and looked surprised. And a few moments later, he lifted her by the hand, and they walked out together. She had a besetting sin, all right. She was a junior at Hope College. Four years previously, as a junior in high school, she became involved with her boyfriend, too involved. And she woke up one morning pregnant, frightened, unaware of what she should do. And then she did the one thing she shouldn't have done, Under the cover of darkness, with only the knowledge of her boyfriend and her best friend, she drove to another city and had an abortion. Thinking to herself, it's behind me now. She made this mistake. It wasn't behind her. It was still deep within her. Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? And on this night, as a junior at Hope College, four years of carrying this toxic waste with the gospel being preached and a summons to come to the Lord, it was more than she could take. She just keeled over. And then Kazimba knelt down and said to her, little one, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. She did that. And she was clean. Now, obviously, the story I'm telling you is 10 years old. I told you this story once before, if you remember. And I'm telling you again because I got an email from that young woman this week And she said to me, I want you to know how I bless the Lord every day. This is my 10th anniversary with a wonderful man, and none of it could have happened had you not invited me to come to the Lord. Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? Not one of us in this room but with the Lord there is forgiveness. Hear me again. With the Lord there is forgiveness. God will remove any transgression from a willing, repentant sinner as far as the east is from the west, and we will be new. Father, into your hands we commit our spirit. We trust that you have given us this word because you want us to be honest with you and how we bless you for your grace great and your mercy free. Give us all willing hearts to wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.